On this episode, we talk to Alice Williams of Ultimate Finance. We talk about moving from being a broker to working as a lender, what Ultimate Finance does, and much more. Now, it's time to spend 30 minutes in finance. Hello, everybody. My name is Alice Williams. I work for a lender called Ultimate Finance. We occupy the bridging and business finance spaces, albeit I specialize in bridging finance. And I almost fell into the property finance arena. I took out or I joined a graduate role with Handelsbanken, a rather mainstream in their appetite bank for a couple of years. Didn't enjoy the banking space as much as I thought I would. So I joined a local brokerage who specialized in property finance and worked my way up through the brokerage, really enjoyed the industry as a whole, the dynamic characters that you get in the industry and the pace and just the energy within the property finance space, specifically the bridging and development finance um, sector, just really, really pulled me in. I was looking for a bit of a change from brokering and thought what better to do than move over to the lending side and I've not looked back. I have found my feet in the lending space. I am really enjoying it at Ultimate Finance um, and I don't think I'd look back to being a broker now which is probably quite a shock to a lot of people that have made the move from lending into brokering it's it's a bit different I think yeah no I, I agree and, and firstly thanks for coming on Alice really appreciate your time and you're right the, the the step that you've taken is generally in the reverse to to most sort of brokers that I know that used to be in banking or, or work for lenders and what was it about the sort of brokering space that you sort of were looking to step away from I think it was looking, so it was actually quite interesting. The first reason for moving was actually a geographical move. So I moved over from the East Midlands to the West Midlands um, and needed a job that I could work from the West Midlands. Uh, I don't think that remote working fully works. I do like being amongst a team um, and having a more local office. So that was the first reason I looked to move. And the second one was, I'm, I'm of such a strong belief that nobody knows everything and there's always things for people to learn. And I was so aware as a broker that whilst I knew lenders criteria, I knew how to package a deal, I knew how to liaise with all of the professionals involved in the transaction, I'd never ever experienced the underwriting process properly or what happens behind the scenes and it felt like quite a natural progression into a new area a new a new side of the industry I guess where I could continue that learning I could broaden my understanding of what happens behind the transaction from the lender's side um, to really build on top of that understanding from the borrower's side that I'd learn from brokering. Yeah, because that it is a it's quite different, isn't it, really, in terms of because you've got to, as the lender side, look at all the risks, whereas the broker side mm -hmm. looks at more of the, the positives and obviously 
as a, a lender ourselves, we kind of, <laughs> we see all sorts of things come through to us. And what sort of um, skills and uh, abilities have you sort of taken that have served you well in that transfer from um, being a broker to a lender? I think the biggest one is the appreciation for what brokers truly do. I do think, and it is a bit cliche, but I do think sometimes the broker's input can be underestimated. It's just how I felt as a broker every now and then. Not every lender, some lenders are, are phenomenal, most lenders are, but you got the impression from a handful of kind of individuals, and it's individuals, it's not even entire lenders, where they have the opinion that the brokers almost get in the way um and don't realize how challenging it is to truly work with those borrowers directly i think there's a lot of intermediation that gets done between what the borrower tells you as a broker you have to formulate that into something that the lender can interpret and and provide you something meaningful off the back of and i do think as an ex broker you do have a far greater appreciation for the level of work that goes into all of that and the number of borrowers that get you talk to as a broker and then don't even take to the lender so how much I guess screening happens before cases do get sent out to lenders to review um, and that's a that's a real consideration for me in my day-to-day -day role when working with brokers now is that appreciation of how much work they've actually put into this um and how much respect you should really have for for the brokers for doing that and for making our roles easier than they would be if dealing with direct borrowers yeah now i've done both sides of dealing directly with clients at my time at barclays and i definitely prefer going through intermediaries that's for sure mm -hmm. um because they do just cut out a lot of that and uh, i would imagine is sort of 99% of your business um, broker introduced um, at Ultimate or is it 100%? Yeah. I, I'd say it's what 99.7%. I've been here ooh, nine months now and I've had one approach from a direct borrower um, and it's not actually something that we proceeded with. So in terms of completions, 100% broker um, and in terms of kind of introductions 99 point something percent is broker and I like it that way yeah I agree completely I think it's a tough one and out there at the moment it's it's sort of ebbs and flows with the deal flow and obviously as working for a lender you've got loads of introducers bringing you stuff but as a, a broker I'd imagine if you're not getting that deal flow from the new clients there is was there a little bit more sort of pressure on that side or did you never really feel that when you were a broker, that is? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge amount of pressure as a broker, I think, on your lead generation. You have to find your USP and I think that is far harder as a broker than it is a lender. Lenders each tend to find something to hang their hat on, be it a specific product that's quite niche or service levels or but I think we are far closer to essentially perfect competition within um the brokering market and trying to find 
that niche that's going to draw potential borrowers to you as a broker rather than somebody else is very challenging. Now, I found my feet as a broker with my lead generation through online presence, through, I was a huge advocate for free education. Um, I really, really passionate about whoever it is learning me. I like learning constantly. Um, I, I really think that kind of knowledge is power. So I did a lot of free education, um, set up some free finance courses, just explaining even as basic as what is bridging finance um, and worked all the way through that, did excerpts of people's books, did a lot of presenting on stage, videos, Facebook videos. Um, and I really found my feet there, but I appreciate that that isn't for everybody. I was so fortunate that I had an amazing team that was working behind me who were able to take some of the day-to-day -day pressure of admin and things off me so I could dedicate most of my time to lead generation. Um, but it was finding that niche and what worked for you, what suited your personality. And once I'd done that, I found it easier, but it was still so much harder I think than the lead generation as a lender. Yeah, because, and I agree, I think it's sort of the brokers do all the sort of well donkey works not the right word for it but all the legwork that that's a better, a better phrase mm -hmm. for it in order to get that and like you say they shift out some stuff and when it obviously came to other than geographically actually picking sort of where to go because I would imagine you had probably a fair few options what was it with sort of ultimate finance and had you ever introduced deals to them prior to actually going to work there yeah, so it's a really funny story, actually. I wasn't actively looking for a job. I It sounds a bit airy-fairy, but I'm a huge believer in things. The right thing will come up at the right time. Um, and I'd done a couple of deals with Ultimate as a broker. So I had the entire Ultimate team on my LinkedIn. We were connected um, and I think it was Josh Levy, our CEO, who posted about a job availability in the West Midlands. And I just dropped him a message and said, look, are you still looking for somebody? I think the post was like a week or two old. So I thought, oh, probably not. And he replied and said, yeah, absolutely. Looking for somebody still. Do you know anybody? And I thought, <laughs> oh, it's really cheesy but I turned around and was kind of like yeah me <laughs> um and then yeah I applied for the role went through obviously the entire interview process and everything uh, and and joined um and I do think right place right job right time had a lot of time for ultimate um my RD as a broker who is still an RD for us now was a huge advocate for ultimate um and knew him and had a lot of time for him as our rd so yeah i just felt like it would be the right place for me and yeah it popped up <laughs> oh yeah it happens that way same as how i got this this role just floating along doing it and then you see something and just think why not um give it mm -hmm. a go and with uh, talking of ultimate are you able to kind of give us a for those that don't know uh, a sort of brief overview of the sort of deals that 
you're actually sort of doing and and actually winning because obviously there's a difference between the deals you can do and then the deals yeah. you get um so yeah if you can give us a, a brief sort of overview of that that'd be great yeah so we do have two arms of the business we have the a business arm which is far more working capital asset finance that side of things which I personally don't get involved in I specialize primarily in bridging finance um, and bridging finance wise I mean we do everything that a bridging finance lender should do there's no point running through the whole USP of we're quick, we're efficient, we're commercially minded because it's not really a USP in the bridging world. It is an expectation. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the business that I'm getting through at the moment, we see a lot of below market value. So we will lend up to 100% net loan to purchase price, oh, wow. um, providing the open market value supports it. Now, as I'm sure you know, there will be some criteria that sits behind that. Um, but I would say that's what the majority of both my introductions to me and completions are. There, there's usually some form of below market value aspect. Um, the next one is development exits. We can work very, very quickly, genuinely, um, when we need to. So... Oh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, I've only just recovered. We completed a dev exit loan in nine working days, 10 working days um, from introduction to completion. And again, it's being able to take that view on things like rewrites evaluation reports from valuers that aren't on panel um, and our solicitors just phenomenal. I can't even take credit for 80% of the speed that was all on the solicitors um so yeah I think dev exits we like and we're completing quite a lot of them at the moment primarily actually because we lend on aggregate value not block value um where they're on separate titles and then the below market value where we can maximize leverage for the borrowers against purchase price that is pretty good, yeah, because that, that's a, a one that a lot of people say they do, but when push comes to shove, from what we've seen, it it rarely sort of happens, um, the below market value piece anyway. And where are you in terms of sort of loan to value and rates uh, currently? So our rates, I think the same as everybody, are tiered. Um so on the below market value stuff, where we're up to 100% of purchase price, 75% OMV, we're at 0.99%. Um, on standard 75% loan to value or loan to purchase price, sorry, bridging, we're at 0.94. Um, and then up to 65%, we're up to uh, 0.89 or starting from 0.89. So all of ours move in kind of 0.05% increments. Obviously, if you throw in things like bad credit or uh, we can consider CCJs in the background, depending on the story behind them. A lot of people get CCJs and parking tickets. I didn't realize that until I started at Ultimate. Um, we can take a view, but there will be a slight increase in price for that. Mm, that's interesting. And obviously with the, the speed, because that is... Yeah, around 
that sort of level is is incredibly competitive so obviously you've got to have those few little bits that as you said mm-hmm. like the below market value that's the thing you sort of gets you to stand out a little bit from everyone else and um how have the sort of rate changes the bank of england rate changes impacted um ultimate finance so on the bridging side it's not made that much difference we have had to put our rates up slightly but we are funded um kind of through our own means so it does mean that we're not having the same knock-on effect that a lot of lenders in the market are having Obviously, there is still a cost to all finance in this world. Um, nothing is ever free. So we are or we have increased our rates slightly to reflect where the market's gone over the last few months. That being said, we've not increased our rates. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong now. I don't think we've increased our rates since February. Um, and even then, we've done it in a way that I feel is quite fair um we've honored terms that have been issued at the lower rate for x number of kind of x time period and then things that are out in offer again they've got a certain time period that will honor the reduced rate rather than upping it at the last minute um so they've not had the huge knock-on effect that I think they maybe have on some lenders, but of course they've had some effect. They have some kind of effect on everybody. Yeah, because it, it, we've seen and been, well, I guess unfortunately, the recipient of some deals that have died with other lenders and then they've come to us because of the rate increases. So, um, and they, they've sort of run out of time. So it, it seems... Like, yeah, some lenders have really been hit quite hard, unfortunately. Um, What is your sort of general outlook currently of the sort of market as a whole? Um, This is the sort of bridging space specifically. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting market at the moment. I think, I don't think anybody's under any illusion that it's easy. Of course, it's quite a challenging, quite a turbulent market at the moment, uh less so now than six months ago but i do think we've still got the fallout from everything that's happened over the last wow it's more than six months now isn't it it's what nine months or so um and then even before then the markets are still reeling from covid and the uncertainty around brexit all you've got to do is look at valuation reports when i started out five years ago the threats section of evaluation report was maybe one or two bullet points so house <laughs> prices might drop at some point potentially yeah now it's almost half a page of there's this threat there's i don't know what is there there's brexit there's covid there's russia and ukraine there's the fallout still from the economic decisions made by liz Truss. there's all of these things and it does it's what half to three quarters of a page um so there's more threats than there have been historically but in every in any kind of market there's always going to be opportunity right you just have to chase the right opportunities so we're seeing and it's so sad in the same fold but 
we're seeing a lot more people benefiting from distressed sale at the moment where they are purchasing below market value because they're agreeing to purchase under auction terms, albeit outside of auction there. So I think if you're there to support that kind of investor, there's still opportunity as a broker, as a lender. I think the days of standard vanilla, no mess at all bridging are limited or the number of those inquiries are far more limited than they were, I don't know, two, three, four years ago. Um, but there is still opportunity. It's just, just making sure that you're covered and you're protected, your values stack, especially when lending on OMV, um, making sure that we do get given the true OMV rather than taking what the borrower says. For example, we are seeing more and more things getting, I wouldn't say downvalued because downvalued suggests that there's an existing valuation there and the value is now coming back lower than that. But we are seeing a lot of valuations being returned lower than the borrower's expectations. Yeah, I think that little or the massive increase in some areas uh, last year have sort of cooled off quite a bit. And I think some mm. people are, are holding on to that and it, it's impacted a couple of our valuations as well. One thing I did forget to ask um, on uh, Ultimate Finances Lending, is that all first charge um, sort of deals or do you offer sort of seconds and thirds or equitables or anything of that nature? No, so we do tend to do first charges only. Uh, we won't do standalone second, third equitable. We will always want a first charge there. We sometimes take an equitable charge elsewhere or potentially a second charge elsewhere if, say, a valuation comes back absolutely hammered and it's going to destroy the deal if we can't be that flexible. Um, but I would say predominantly first charge only um we wouldn't tend to come in some lenders i'm not sure whether yourselves do it will quote on day one with first charge here second charge second charge second charge to get the borrower to where they need to be we won't tend to quote on that basis we will want the first charge to get the borrower where they need to be but we'll consider second charge or equitable in the event they need some extra equity used from elsewhere if I think the most common occurrence is if the valve comes back lower than expected. Yeah, so like an additional comfort just to top it up yeah. from some something else. Yeah, that that's similar to how we do other than our basic seconds. Um, as one of the things that obviously we mentioned just before uh, the recording was that you're doing a, a paper in regards to. Um, well, actually, do you want to just give us a brief outline of, of what you're looking to do, and we could just have a a real quick chat about that as well, um, sort of surface level stuff. <laughs> and then we can get you on uh, again to sort of go through it properly once it's actually out. Yeah, that's fine. So I bombarded a lot of people on LinkedIn. So apologies to any of your listeners if they were one of those individuals. Yeah, I did um, one of them. <laughs> oh, it was really anybody who responded. It was so appreciated, honestly. Um, I did some research in my dissertation last year um, for my master's in real estate finance and investment, all regarding the use of gifts, gratuities and incentives within our market. 
kept it very, very specific to bridging finance. And it wasn't an accusatorial piece whatsoever. It was far more just wanting to understand what people's perceptions are. And you see a lot of people refer to our industry as cowboys, and um, you see some crazy gifts and things being thrown about. And you also see some very modest things being done within the industry. And I really wanted to gauge what people thought was reasonable within our industry and whether huge kind of promises of holidays or mobile phones or would sway people and whether it would lead to, it's an economic principle called the, um, oh, I've forgotten it, principal agent problem. So it's where the, um, in this case, it was the broker no longer acting in the best interest of the borrower because of the gift gratuity or incentive that they've been offered. And trying to draw that line between what gift is acceptable is in, inducement acceptable within reason providing that nothing's expected in return and really wanted to gauge the opinions of the wider market who almost create my own definition of what is and isn't reasonable within the industry essentially um and that research has been picked up we're now building an academic paper uh, in partnership with my university surrounding that research and that will be published hopefully in July um, to almost provide a very long-winded kind of number of pages worth of definition of what is and isn't reasonable. Okay so will, will we have to wait for that to get a a rough idea or are you able to to share a, a kind of because we we have a cap on what we will pay brokers in terms of their broker fee and everything mm -hmm. um because we've been asked for some what we consider um a little too large i'll put it that way <laughs> um, that, that just doesn't work um and it doesn't seem fair either um to the borrowers and obviously treating customers fairly is a key principle yeah. um and that on that side of things um do you ultimate finance take introductions from sort of non-regulated brokers and what are your views on sort of that side of things in terms of brokers uh, and the qualifications that they may hold or or, or not hold mm. in, in some cases yeah, so we do accept introductions from non-regulated brokers. Uh, we don't do any regulated business, so don't require our brokers to be regulated. Yeah. Now, I can't speak, obviously, on behalf of the whole of Ultimate, but when I'm talking to new brokers, my, my main interest is that they're acting in the best interest of their borrower. So it's quite clear when like you say the broker is chasing whoever will give them the biggest proc fee or who will um yeah I think you do get some unscrupulous individuals in this industry you do with every industry yeah. um so I think it's all about the intentions of the brokers now I've been very 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 fortunate I can't think of a single broker I've been approached by genuinely whose morals I have felt uncomfortable with. Um, 
I think that is fortunate because I think I'd really struggle <clears throat> if I was approached by one whose morals clashed with mine. I think I probably just have to take it higher up within the company um, for guidance on how to proceed. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think qualifications equals good broker, lack of qualifications equals poor broker. I also don't necessarily feel like things like CMAP set you up for bridging and development finance advice. Um, I did my CMAP and okay, the basic understanding of kind of banking and finance, I could see how that would help some individuals if starting out completely fresh, moving into finance for the first time. But I don't think even something like that necessarily means good bridging and development broker. Obviously, it's a completely different ballpark when you start looking down the regulated space. Yeah. So I think a good broker is just somebody who acts in the best interest of their borrowers, who does everything above board and does everything because it's right for the borrower. And then if they get a gift or something off the back of that to say thank you for the business I don't think that's wrong I think it's all the intention behind what's being done if something is being given regardless of whether it's a gift whether it's something up front before any business transaction has taken place if that's being given with pure intentions with no um unwritten expectation of reciprocation then I do think it's absolutely fine but I do struggle where you get the odd occasion where it's well if you do this for us we will give this to you and I think that is where the line should be drawn regardless of whether that's a spoken agreement or an unspoken one yeah no I agree and on the CMAP point when I did mine it has only a sort of thin thread of usefulness to what I do on a day-to-day. -day. Uh, and they, I've seen um, and I've actually paid for um, the Certified Practitioner in Specialist Property Finance, which is the new one that um, FIBA and the ASTL um, have put out. I think it's like £250 or something. Um, and that yeah. specializes in the unregulated thing. So when we next get you on we'll have to sort of have a chat about your views on all of that so conscious of the the time um, yeah as um a tradition on on the podcast one thing that we do is we have the previous guest um, ask a question and the previous guest we had on was Ed Zanima from Sedans which is actually our solicitor for most of the bridging that we do um, and he's asked a question that's what do you look for in a, a good solicitor and earlier you mentioned your solicitors were amazing so feel free to give mm -hmm. them a shout out if you want um, but what do you actually look for when you're sort of you know working with a, a solicitor what makes a good solicitor in your view I think there's a multitude of things that makes a good solicitor I think the first one is somebody that you can actually work with um, somebody where you feel like you can email them you can call them um, not necessarily to kind of get hold of them constantly but if you need something urgently if you kind of need help understanding something in greater depth if underwriters have questions about something an approachable solicitor is a huge one um, 
And then off the back of that, I think one that can cut through a lot of the jargon. So obviously I've got no legal background. I'm not a solicitor. So when I'm speaking to a solicitor, if they're throwing so much at you without any, I guess, layman's interpretations for what they're saying, um, it does make things harder because you feel like you're having to go back and say, right, well, what if we did this? What does that mean? If we, if we did this, what would that mean? What would the implications be of this? Whereas if somebody sets it out quite nicely and says, look, you could do this, but it will mean this. You could do this and it means this. I think it just builds that strong working relationship. And I think that's what really is key. Yeah, the, the, thank you, obviously, for, for that. I think you're you're absolutely right about the solicitors that being able to pick up the phone and just answer the, get a, a quick answer is really important, as well as obviously the normal, I guess, in terms of going back to the borrow solicitor, keeping you updated with what's outstanding so you can feed back to the broker. Um, yeah. And our next guest on, um, I, I think you, you mentioned earlier, you know, them a little bit um, or very well uh, is Steve Smith um, from Mint. Um, so I was wondering, have you got anything that you'd like to ask him for when he comes on? Oh, I'll give him quite an easy question. I think <laughs> he's been in bridging obviously for quite a while now. Why bridging? Why has he stayed in bridging? What makes him love bridging so much? Um, and how has he found it moving from one lender to another lender? It'd be quite interesting with the change of criteria and things. How has he managed his head around those changes? Now, that's a brilliant question, actually, and a, a nice sort of change of pace from the normal ones, a bit more about him. So thank you. And one sort of final thing, obviously, for, for everyone, where can they find you and how do they get in touch with you or, or Ultimate Finance if they are looking to find out a little bit more about what you guys do? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm connected to you. So people can obviously go look through your connections if they can't find me. I know my name's quite generic. Um, you get a lot of Welsh people come up when you search my name on LinkedIn. Um, and we've got a full website, which obviously covers all of our proposition across the bridging and business finance spaces. And there's chat boxes and things on there that go through to our fabulous team um who will also be able to assist perfect what i'll do is i'll put your linkedin um link in the description um for this so if anyone does want to get in touch literally just click the link either below or on the side depending on which platform you're listening to um and is there anything else you'd like to sort of share with the listeners either about sort of you know anything at all i don't really think so i think obviously grateful that people have sat and listened to us speak for half an hour um and yeah I'm always available for a, a chat with anybody in the industry whether they just want a chat and a catch up or whether they want help it sounds a bit weird offering help you know I'm willing to accept help from others as well um I just like connecting with people in the industry and having a good chat really no, that's perfect. And yeah, thank you ever so much for coming on here. It's been awesome. And once the um, your paper's gone through, we'll have to get you on to have a, a proper chat about that, because I think that'll be a, a really interesting sort of talk. And 
one that might cause a little bit of, dare I say, or hope, a, a bit of controversy, which is, is always fun uh, to go through. So thanks so much for your time, Alice. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Perfect. Thanks for having me, David. It's been great chatting to you.